We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this week we'll be doing things a little bit differently given the fact that we are in a new normal we're all muddling through this together though we know traditional type of state of the union we're just gonna jump right in and talk about things with my good friend. Uh, you know him, you love him, uh, my friend, my colleague, uh, my confidant, a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire, David Mossy. How are you, my friend? I am good, hanging in there. I do want to give a, a shout out to a couple of legends that celebrated birthdays in the last couple of days, one of them being our colleague Warren Barton and the other being Ronaldinho, who celebrated his 40th birthday. Although I'm going to guess this is not the way he envisioned uh, the perfect way to celebrate his 40th birthday. He's still in jail, right? Correct me if I'm wrong down there. And uh, where is he in jail? Peru? Paraguay. Paraguay. My goodness. Well, I mean, is that any way to treat a, uh, a legend? I am going to guess that they still found a way to have some sort of party. Uh, yeah, there was talk of some sort of barbecue in prison. I'm not sure if that actually happened but uh that was uh what they were planning anyway well uh as you will see uh, and hopefully you are hearing we have upgraded our uh technical capabilities here when it comes to microphones so hopefully this is a lot clearer uh, and better quality as you are listening i usually talk about you listening on runs or bike rides or all the different things but given the fact that uh, we rarely uh, if ever go out um, this is probably something that you are listening to at home. We did upgrade, so uh, hopefully it sounds uh, sounds better. As I mentioned at the uh, top of the show, we're going to just jump right into what's happening. You don't need me uh, screaming and yelling at you or, uh, or giving you the uh, traditional type of State of the Union for a number of reasons, not the least of which nothing when it comes to soccer has actually happened on the field. As we know, the world has shut down and the world uh, that we deal with obviously uh, relates to soccer and the soccer world has shut down. Mossy, into this, let's call it week two, shall we say. I know different people uh, have gone into isolation at different times uh, in the country and around the world, but let's call this into into week two, especially since this is our second podcast since all of this started to happen uh, much more seriously. How are you faring and how is it continuing on a life uh, and a life without soccer? I'm doing all right. I mean, the weather's been nice in LA the last few days, so I do go out once a day, go for a walk, try to get some fresh air, exercise. And yeah, I mean, you know, you, you get into some sort of routine. It is strange, but you know, it's uh, so far so good. I'm hanging in there. 
Well, in this moment where we are we are desperate and and searching for answers, uh, oftentimes answers that can't be given. The question that I'm getting mostly, and now it's all through social media because there is no interaction with people when it comes to face to face. So it's either people FaceTiming me or texting me or uh, tweeting me or doing all the other things. Is you know, when will the game come back and listen i want to make i want to take a step aside here and be very very clear i made this clear last week but it it bears repeating we are a soccer podcast okay we talk about soccer and yes we talk about bigger things and how soccer uh, reflects life and impacts our life and in no way because we're talking about soccer here does it mean that we would diminish or god forbid ignore what's going on and the real life that is happening around us and uh, i just want to make that very very clear because sometimes people can get confused and if you need me to tell you that you need to be proactive and you need to be responsible not just for yourself and your own health and well-being but for everybody else and if you're not you're being detrimental and you're being an asshole, okay then you've had your head stuck in the sand for a long time but having said that, that's the caveat that hopefully covers everything. So you scream and yell uh, at me about what's happening or why aren't you dealing and talking with the reality of the situation. We all understand. We're all living the reality. We are all uh, stuck inside. It sucks. You know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I imagine that it sucks not having the life that we became so accustomed to and a life that exists only a mere weeks before. But this is the new reality that we have to function through in order to get back to some semblance of normalcy. It'll probably never return to that, but it'll be a, a, a new normal uh, in the future. And hopefully it's one that's positive and hopefully one that's safe uh, and secure and healthy. But that only happens with all of the work that everybody's doing. And once again, you don't need me to tell you to tell you that or get on my high horse or any, uh, anything like that. We're all muddling through this, uh, through this together. And I mentioned last week, while muddling through it, we all are on the same side uh, when it comes to this. We have different ideas, but we're all are uh, are on the same side. All right, Mossy, can you take us through a little bit when it comes to just the a little more of the details as to we know that there is no soccer being played, but there's also a logistical type of uh, nightmare and reaction that uh, that it's happening here to make sure that stuff that is coming up, especially this summer and going forward, what still is in place, what has been pushed off. And what still probably could get affected as we go as we go forward, because I want to talk to you a little bit about ultimately what you think. We're not doctors. We're not, you know, we don't have a, a vision of the future uh, any any more or less than anybody else out there. But I do want to talk to you about what you think is going to happen through this year and beyond. All right. Well, from an international standpoint, we mentioned this as a possibility last week, and it happened. The Euros, which were supposed to occur this upcoming summer, have been moved to the summer of 2021. And the knock-on effect of that is that the Women's Euro, which was scheduled for the summer of 2021, this hasn't been 100% confirmed yet, but all signs point to that taking place in the summer of 2022, which is actually open because the Men's World Cup doesn't start until November of that year. Also, that first expanded Club World Cup that Johnny Infantino was planning for the summer of 2021, that's been postponed. Uh, that is TBD. And I really hope that Infantino pushes that 
to the next cycle and doesn't try to force it here in the next couple of years. Because as you mentioned last week, it's the first edition of a new competition. So it doesn't matter when you start it. And at this point, let's just push that a few years down the road and kick the can down the road for that. The other thing that happened was the Copa America that was supposed to occur this upcoming summer, that's been moved to the summer of 2021. So now you're going to have the Euros, the Copa America, and the Gold Cup all in the summer of 21. And, you know, I, I do have a couple of thoughts on the Copa America. I already didn't feel great about this Copa America this summer. And I know a lot of people didn't feel great either. The Centenara was a unique set of circumstances. Everyone was okay with that. That felt like kind of a dry run for CONMEBOL and CONCACAF eventually merging perhaps. But this one felt a little bit contrived to come back the next cycle and again have Copa Americas in back-to-back -back years, which would make it four and six years. That felt a little bit farcical. The official reason was they wanted to get on this even year cycle but then why not just move the 19-1 to 20? So uh, I was wondering, now that the uh, justification for holding one this summer uh, went out the window because you're not going to have it in an even year anymore, would they just cancel it altogether? But no, they pushed it down to 2021. And I will say this, if Conmebol are hell-bent on having a second Copa America in this cycle, I actually think the two-year gap between the tournaments makes it less weird than if you had had them in consecutive summers. So in a weird way, I think it actually worked out for the better in terms of the Copa America. And then uh, when it comes to the actual leagues that uh, haven't finished or obviously are midstream, as everybody as everybody is, there's still this kicking it down the road, uh, months, weeks, whatever it ends, whatever it ends up being. Are you in favor when it comes to actual leagues of just cutting your losses and saying, "Look, we're just going to end this now so they can get back on that cycle," or do you think that one a, a league that has already been started and is in midstream, whatever it takes, you just got to finish it out. Yeah, I would try to finish it out. And listen, this was misreported the last few days. Um, that June 30th date that UEFA set, that's just a target best case scenario date, but they're willing to go past that if need be. That's not like some deadline that, hey, if we don't finish by then, then we're going to cancel the season. And so they've sort of set that as a target date, June 30th. And they've talked about having more league matches midweek, Champions League matches during the weekend, whatever they have to do to kind of push this along. They've even explored changing the format, having the uh, Champions League from this point forward be one game instead of two legs and different things. But yeah, I, I would like to see them make every effort to try to finish uh, this season. And it sounds like that is what they're going to do, even if it pushes well into the summer. And then they've said they'll adjust the start of next season if need be, qualifying for the European competitions and such. All right. Well, look into your, your crystal ball. And you know, as I said before, this is all just, since this is all new for us, uh, nobody's experienced something like this before. We're all making it up. And certainly those of us that have no expertise when it comes to the situation are, are making it up. But we have hope. We have belief. I understand that. But I look into your crystal ball. How do you think, you know, when is the next time that you think we are able to see somebody kick a ball professionally when it comes uh, to this year or maybe next year? Boy, very difficult question. I mean, if we're talking about in an empty stadium, then I don't know, hopefully in a couple of months. Is that realistic? I don't know. Um, I think with fans in the stadium, boy, it's going to be a lot longer than that. You know, the one final piece of the puzzle here is the Olympics, which uh, people are imploring them to postpone that. And they are showing a great reluctance so far. I mean, they, they seem to think that they're going to be able to stage the Olympics in its regularly scheduled dates, which which seems 
crazy to me, but that would be interesting from a soccer standpoint, which I know is the least important thing. But having removed all the other summer tournaments, if you just have the Olympics occurring late in the summer, actually the star power in that tournament could be rather interesting because there are a lot of European and South American stars that wanted to play in the Olympics, but were presumably going to play in the Euros or the Copa America. And the big impediment to them playing in the Olympics were their clubs not wanting them to play in two different international tournaments in the same summer. If somehow we still went ahead with an Olympic soccer tournament in August, you know, it'd be interesting to see what that would look like. But I mean, that seems so far-fetched to me. I, the Olympics strike me as almost the worst kind of event you could have in a time like this because of all the different countries that it involves. So I can't conceive of a world in which the Olympics aren't going to get pushed back too. But for now, that's the one thing that's they're, they're, they're standing firm and saying they're, they, they're not going to push it back yet. Look, unless, you know, somebody and fingers crossed, somebody comes up with uh, a, a, an immediate type of uh, cure and treatment to this that is, that is fast and effective, I don't think we're seeing soccer for a number of months. I mean, it would not even surprise me because that not even soccer um, the rest of this year. And I only say that because given the severity and the seriousness of this situation, you can bet your ass, uh, and rightfully so, Every governing body, every league, every team is going to use an abundance of caution. And look, I know that that money and business is in, is involved, and when that machine grinds to a halt, it it has cascading effects out there. But with liability and all all of that kind of stuff, and just out of human nature, and going through something like this, I'll be really interested to see if and when that go-ahead is given, what that go-ahead looks like. So what what does the world have to look like in order for somebody in a leadership position and with authority to say, we are going to do this? And does everybody do it at the same time? Is there this guinea pig effect that we've seen, unfortunately, in the opposite way of who shuts down first and then other people taking the league and fo following suit and then people that were late uh, or weren't weren't early enough getting criticized for that, uh, you can bet that if and when that ball is kicked, whether by the way, whether it's with an empty stadium or not, uh, certainly the empty stadium's a little a little bit different, but ultimately, when you start saying, you know, you know we've been told you can't uh, you can't gather and you don't want to be in in any type of group, and the next thing you are in is a group of sixty thousand people. Is it a floodgate type of uh, situation? Is there a reticence and is there a well, I guess it comes down to a fear if and when people say that it is safe to do these types of things again, where people gather in masses. Do people say, well, I'm, I'm going to hold off and or do people come back? I think I think it'll be, you know, it'll be in a, a very interesting and fascinating type of time. Hopefully we get there sooner rather than later so we can even deal with the problem. And I, hope I put that in quotes, if it is a problem, if people are scared not to come back, but it's completely understandable given, uh, given the situation. As I said, the, se the, severity, uh, the severity going forward. We're going to talk a little bit later in the pod about the things that we are doing uh, and the way that we are using our time as it relates to soccer and as it relates to uh, as it relates to other things there. But uh, just just as a as a quick uh, question to you, Mossy, are you still finding ways to keep soccer in your life? Because I know last week you mentioned while you are that savant and you are incredible when it comes to it comes to soccer, you are certainly not all about soccer. And with this with this time and in this moment that we are living in, I'm wondering if you are seeking out 
the soccer that exists out there, not the live soccer, obviously, but the soccer that exists out there to kind of feed that, that jonesing that all of us soccer people uh, may have or may not have. You know, I haven't watched any old games. I know people have done that. Now, 4-4-2 didn't help because they could have picked any World Cup final to put on YouTube and they decided to pick the 98 one in which France crushed Brazil 3-0. So why I would want to go back and rewatch that game is, you know, I had our old pal Jason Wormser uh, emailing me about that game and with his tactical analysis and what Brazil got wrong. And it was like, look, Jason, this is not what I want to be dealing with right now and even thinking about that game. I suspect the next one they'll, they'll put on there will be the Germany-Brazil 2014 World Cup semifinal just to finish me off for good. But now, so I have not gone back and rewatched any old games, but I have, and we're going to talk about this a couple of segments from now, I have watched documentaries and, and, and TV shows about soccer. So that I can't get enough of. So yeah, that I've definitely used to kind of pass my time and get my soccer fix. Well, there does seem to be this, uh, this belief that you should be doing something, either from a personal perspective to make yourself better, or, or you should be uh, being productive in, in, in this moment. And I think that's sometimes just an, an added pressure uh, to people. Although I do think that there is this moment where everybody is together. And while we are not physically together, we are still communicating and, and hopefully people are communicating. This opportunity to kind of come together in this town hallish type of setting when it comes to soccer to examine some of the problems. Oftentimes we we don't have the time, we don't have the resources, we just don't have the inclination to talk about some of these things, especially in, in our line of business where, as I said, I've told you many times, a lot of times my job is to come up with 13 seconds and the layers and the nuances and stuff like that sometimes get lost. We do a, a better job when it comes to podcasts because we just have more time to talk about these things. But you know, I wonder if this is also a time to get that town hall type of feel for soccer and look at things in a different way. For example, you know, the development academy out there um, that you talk to some people, it's been wonderful and it's been around for over over a decade and has produced some great talent here in the United States. And for those that don't know, it was made uh, and constructed to give elite players the opportunity to play at a high level and to be more competitive and develop those elite players um, and both men and women and, and different age groups. But it also has brought upon uh, other problems and challenges in the soccer community. And so you know, finding ways in this moment where all we have is time, to kind of, well, we were we were forced to take that step back to look at what we are and maybe you know talk about those challenges and and find out you know why we find ourselves here in 2020 from a soccer perspective in this position. The decisions that were made were they good? If there are tweaks, and I'm just using Development Academy as a, as an example, but there's all sorts of things when it comes to soccer that don't necessarily have or that aren't necessarily directly kicking the ball. That with this time and this dare I say it, opportunity that we could delve into. And maybe from a podcast perspective, we will look at those things. And everybody's out there searching for different type of content and everybody's out there trying to crank out the content. But, you know, when it comes to soccer and the things that we talk about, there are still things out there that I think can be very, very interesting and ultimately can be maybe productive and successful in looking at things in a different way and changing those things going forward. Uh, Mossy, anything else before uh, before we move on here with regards to uh, our current state 
and uh, the state, not just here in the United States when it comes to soccer, but the world uh, in soccer. Anything else you want to touch on before we move on? No, I'll just reiterate what I said last week. Uh, stay safe, everyone, and listen to the experts. There we go. All right, we are going to uh, take a little break here, and when we come back, oh my goodness, yep. You know him, you love him, or you hate him. Tom Brady. Oh yeah! Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, as I mentioned the uh, last segment, we're all kind of looking for different angles and uh, different type of uh, narratives and, and content out there without the ability to talk about people actually kicking the soccer ball on a soccer field. And one of the things we were thinking about is uh, while we are citizens of the world. We are also citizens here in the United States, and we all know that American football reigns supreme and is king. But it also gave us an opportunity this last week when news came out about the great Tom Brady moving after, what, 20 years and an incredible 20 years. From, from my money and my naive type of American football mind, I look at Tom Brady as the greatest football player of all time. Maybe that's debatable out there and arguable. Uh, I will I will defer to others, but that's what I would argue. Him moving to, uh, to Tampa Bay and the jarring effect, if and when this happens from a physical perspective, of seeing him walk on the field in a different jersey playing for a different team. Uh, Mossy, first a, a couple of things, because I know this uh, this is one of your tribe there over there at the, the Wolverines of, uh, of Michigan, right? Uh, Tom Brady was a, a Wolverine, I think, now, and, and he's gone on to be the GOAT, right? Is that is that what's happened? And, and I got it all right, right, Mossy? He's going to Tampa Bay or the, uh, the Buccaneers down there, right? That's correct. And I will say it is now acceptable again for a Michigan fan to root for Tom Brady because I've argued that in the last few years, the Patriots' unlikability outweighed the Michigan thing, and it was completely unacceptable for anybody that's not a New England Patriots fan to root for the Patriots. And Michigan fans that did it only did so because Michigan football wasn't offering you any uh, source of happiness. So you were just looking to like tangentially glom on to something else that, you know, was related to Michigan football to be happy about. But to me, it, it, it was unacceptable for anybody to root for the Patriots the last few years that wasn't a Patriots fan. And now him moving to Tampa Bay, we can all root for Tom Brady to do well again as a uh, Michigan alum. Well, I, I, in my limited experience with American football, I never felt bad for Tom Brady in any way in terms of the way that people viewed him uh, and, and certainly the way that people at times didn't like him. But having said that, uh, the, the connection and the way it relates to soccer, Mossy, we have seen players who have come to represent a certain club. Some of them who are lifers, uh, some of them who have just because of their success and the time and and oftentimes the incredibly successful time that they spent, they come to be identified with single with single clubs. And once again, that that change, if if that happens, uh, can be jarring. What are a couple of players out there that you can think of where either you said this will never happen 
or you just could never wrap your mind around the possibility of somebody wearing a different color uh, and a different flag or a different logo out there when it comes to uh, changing teams. Well, first off, let me say it's become commonplace in recent years for uh, great players at the tail end of their careers to go to a whole different part of the world. So we've seen Xavi go to Qatar, Iniesta go to Japan, Del Piero go to Australia. Obviously, guys like Steven Gerrard come to MLS, and that doesn't hit me quite the same way. To me, the ones that are really strange is when you a guy you thought was going to spend his whole career with one club moves to a different club that sort of competes in the same general realm as the club that he was at all those years. And so the example that just that jumped out at me recently was Raul playing for Schalke. That was completely bizarre to me. That's a guy that I thought was going to spend his whole career with Real Madrid and retire as a Real Madrid player. And watching him play in the Bundesliga and the Champions League for Schalke was completely bizarre to me. Other ones that come to mind, uh, John Terry. Uh, you mentioned Steven Gerrard. I think for a lot of people... The fact that it wasn't in Europe, obviously in, in England, but it wasn't, it, it changed it a little bit for people, but for a person that was so iconic to see him playing for a different team, it just, it, it didn't com compute because for so long we had associated that, that red with him and then to, to see it change. And as I said, I think it was softened a little bit because of the fact that he went to, went to MLS. And that's why I think when you talk about China and other places, I think it's softened a, a little bit when it comes to, uh, uh, to some of those things. When it happens in Europe, and look, there are the mercenaries out there where it doesn't matter. Is Latan going to play for another team, even a big team in different places? That, that, doesn't, you know, that doesn't register. And, and I will say this, because you know, oftentimes, it, it, well, in this day and age where players move so much, it is actually the aberration. It is the anomaly to have a player who stays at one club for a long period of time, let alone for an entire career. So when I think about the compare and contrast uh, and the value that is put on it, yeah, I think that there is something special about it. But just because a player has done that relative to a player who has moved from team to team to team, I don't put necessarily any more value on that player do you must put more value on a player who has stayed and played for a team either the entire career or the majority of career you know you can look at steve Chirundolos or, or or these types of players that have become synonymous with a club and endeared themselves to that club it's wonderful i love it it's a great it's a great story but there's there's a tendency to say that that that's a better career uh, or that's of more value it's just it's just different, especially in this day and age. I agree with you. It's a catch-22. We, we love to romanticize the one-club man. But then if you look at the defining debate of our time, Messi versus Ronaldo, there are lots of people, including you, who opt for Ronaldo in large part because he did it in different places, while you sort of hold it against Messi that he only did it in one place. So, I mean, how do you reconcile that? Because on some level, I, I agree with you. I actually think it's kind of a more interesting career to have done it in different leagues in different countries. You know, Messi, if he ever left Barcelona to go to another European club, that would be the equivalent of what we're seeing with Tom Brady. I mean, that would be the most stunning sight ever to see Messi playing for another European club. But in some ways, if he did that, you think it, it would perhaps elevate his legacy, presuming he did well with that club, than if he just keeps doing what he's been doing uh, with Barcelona for the last 15 years. Tom Brady, GOAT, without a doubt. Iconic when it comes to, by the way, not just the Patriots, 
but football. This man has been the symbol, as far as I am concerned, of the NFL. Uh, a league, by the way, that is based on parody, and yet he has been a star and a consistent star. And when I say a star, I mean somebody that as many people hate <laughs> as love, okay? But all of them ultimately respect the fact that this guy has done it year in and year out. And even when you are screaming and yelling and throwing stuff at the screen, the guy comes through in the same way that Messi has done that for uh, Barcelona. And, you know, that's why you're absolutely correct in saying that if Messi were ever to show up not wearing the Barcelona uniform, it would it would blow people's mind. It would blow my mind. It would be inconceivable and incredibly difficult to wrap my little brain around to see that. And yet, I want to see that more than anything. Oh my goodness, would that be wonderful. And yes, uh, at times in that evergreen and inevitable, inevitable uh, comparison between Messi and Ronaldo, I have come down on the Ronaldo side specifically because he has challenged himself to go different places. And in doing so, he has put himself in scenarios and circumstances that are not only different, but at times not as good as the previous one. And yet he has been successful in all of those situations. And yes, I, I do value that. And by the way, that's not to say that Messi should have gone anywhere because he was playing and has been playing for one of the greatest clubs in the world, the biggest clubs in the world, the most successful club uh, in who knows how many uh, decades with incredible players around him. So why would you, uh, why would you go anywhere? But that's why, because at some point when, when we do this comparison, they ask for my opinion, I give you my opinion. And that's why I fall on the side of, of, of Cristiano. Now, so then, so then the question is, okay, while it would be mind blowing, could it actually happen? And this is a player in Messi who was since basically <laughs> a kid incubated and fostered in that cocoon that is Barcelona. Unlike, uh, unlike other players who started off maybe at, at smaller places and then came to those, those, big, those big places. This is all that he knows. And it is in part why he has been successful because he has been fostered by that cocoon that he, is, uh, he has been in. So does he go someplace else, Mossy? That's the ultimate question that we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, he's been increasingly frustrated with Barcelona's regime, and I think it's opened the door that in the next couple of years, it's not that far-fetched. Now, I don't know how this, what we're living through now, impacts that at all, or, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, we'd have to re return to some sense of normalcy before I could even sort of wrap my head around that whole question. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's still unlikely. You know, he, he, he moved to Barcelona as a 13-year-old. He spent his whole adult life there. His family loves it there. That's home. I think he's very grateful for everything Barcelona has done for him over the years. So ultimately that outweighs whatever frustrations he has in a given moment with different moves that the front office is making and maybe not surrounding him with the best possible talent. So I'd still think better chance than not that he stays. But something that, you know, a few years ago you thought was like 100% certainty, there's at least, you know, the doors, it seems like it's been open a little bit in the last couple of years for a possible move. And I'll, I'll end it with this. Uh, as much as we started talking about Tom Brady and this move, keep in mind 
that as seismic of a sports move when it comes to American sports as this was, and it was, okay, even in the midst of everything that's going on, this cut through all the clutter, and this was big news. If Messi were to go to another team, okay, it would make the Tom Brady move pale in comparison. That's how big the sport is. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. That's how big, uh, that's how big Messi is because there's people around the world that have no idea who Tom Brady is. As big as he is and as important uh, and significant as he is in our sports landscape, there's people around the world that have no idea. And not only that, they don't care. Messi, his move would be a global type of move in that everybody would be curious, everybody would be talking about, everybody would be glued to their televisions as to where he next showed up. And that first picture of him walking out in a jersey other than Barcelona would, in a certain way, be iconic and would permeate throughout the world. I don't know, like you said, if we are ever going to see it, even in, in the best of times, Mossy. And yes, everything that we're going through right now impacts and infects everything that we that we do. But I I don't I just I don't see it. It's not about money. I mean, people can throw a lot of money at him, but that's that's he's made ridiculous amounts of uh, of money. Uh, his family is happy. By all counts, he's still going to be playing for one of the great teams in the world. And it just never felt to me like he had that desire and burning desire to do something different and to test himself elsewhere and by the way that's not that's not a that's not a slight on him okay it's just that's how he is and that's that's the wonderful difference between Messi and Cristiano and that plays into every single time that we do this comparison with them last word Matthew what do you got well, look, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Frank Lampard playing for Manchester City and scoring against Chelsea in a Premier League game. I know that was Alex Dowd's selection uh, in this conversation. I will say, though, Lampard did have a substantive early part of his career with West Ham, so he was never going to be that one-club man. Uh, Gigi Buffon sort of falls into that, too, because it was bizarre after so many years at Juventus for him to go to PSG, but he had had several years at Parma before he even made it to Juventus, so... I don't know. Do you almost think like if you had already played for multiple clubs, then that sort of disqualifies you from this conversation? It has to be a guy who has spent his whole career with one club and you thought was going to end his career that way and then he goes somewhere else? No, I think that uh, I will make the executive decision that uh, if and when you are screaming at us out there and you are sending in your ideas for iconic players uh, that have moved and, and blown your mind, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a player who's played for one club. It has to be a player like Gigi Buffon. When you say Gigi Buffon, what's the first t uh, team that you talk about? Juventus, okay? It's not even a question. And most people around the world have no idea that he played for any anybody else. That's where he made his bones. That's where we associate the aesthetic of him playing for uh, Juventus. That's who he is. And so I think that's what the criteria has to be, is when you think of this player, this is the club that you think of and no other club, even if that player may have played either before or after, well, we're talking about the after part, but or played before for a different club. All right, Mossy, fascinating stuff. We'll see if, uh, if Messi 
does move uh, in the future and how that impacts the world. From an American perspective, we'll see what uh, Brady looks like in the uh, the Buccaneers jersey and if he can bring some success down there to the uh, uh, the Bucks. And was it all about the Patriots or is this guy the GOAT because it doesn't matter what jersey you put him in? All right, coming up, uh, Mossy and I are going to tell you a little bit about how we are spending our days and uh, what we are doing to fill our time. All right, moving on. All right, Mossy. Uh, we are both at home, uh, which is where everybody else should be, and hopefully you are. But with all of this time in our on our hands and uh, the ability to uh, try to fill it with stuff, uh, we are filling it with different things. I know you are a huge television uh, guy. Oh, what did I? I'm in the midst of this crazy documentary, Mossy. I don't know if you have seen this yet, but it's uh, it's called Tiger King. It's on Netflix, and it is absolutely nuts it is a documentary about these uh different factions that raise tigers and exotic wildlife and it it just it, just watch it okay if you have netflix watch it it is uh it, I'm, i cannot recommend it highly enough it is nuts but i know we're all trying to find things to do i'm in the midst of a thousand piece puzzle with my family we've been going through online education so uh, back and forth with teachers and classes and doing all that uh, i have yet to mention the thing on my head we are taping this uh, recording this on sunday march 22nd which is actually the seventh anniversary of the snow classico we're actually gonna the united states soccer federation is running a uh, a re-air of the epic game that happened in denver seven years ago during world cup qualifying for the 2014 world cup uh, in the snow i was i was privileged to be able to uh, work that game alongside the likes of bob lee and casey keller and uh, and taylor twelman back when i uh, was with uh, was with espn and it, and it turned into an instant classic because it was played in the snow so if you get a chance to watch that they'll be showing it on us soccer they'll be showing it on youtube this will come out after that replay has happened but you can go back and uh, watch it because it'll still be available it was nuts this is the actual hat that i wore that uh, uh, that day so i have like we mentioned before i have been watching and re-watching games and it's nice to kind of get together and, and see stuff whether i'm involved or not there was a game the other night that that i along with jp della camera had been uh, broadcasting the the rooney wonderful track back and tackle and uh, and goal the, that epic moment so there there are soccer opportunities and re-airs out there and i encourage you uh, to check them out because they're they're fun they they jog the memory and they give you an idea of players that you might have forgotten wonderful plays it also it's a glimpse into our past as American soccer folks and you know, some of the good stuff, some of the bad stuff, but it's all part of, uh, of what we have done. Uh, Mossy, what have you been spending your time doing? Well, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, I finally watched the Beckham effect a few days ago. Ah. And it was interesting because for a long time, I adopted the stance that Beckham's time in MLS had been a tad overrated and mythologized, both in terms of his play on the field and also his impact on the growth of the league. But over the last couple of years, I've started to reevaluate that stance. And this documentary sent me further down the path of reevaluation. And there was one point in there that really uh, resonated with me. It was Landon Donovan made this point about the before and after of international stars in MLS. 
And it kind of sent me on this Beckham MLS deep dive. And I sifted through the rosters in 2004, 2005, 2006. And yeah, there weren't a lot of big name international stars. We sort of think that since its inception, MLS has been able to attract these sort of aging big foreign stars. But there was a period there where that dried up and then Beckham arrived. And then you see all the players that came soon after and Henri and David Villa and Kaká and Pirlo and Lampard and Gerard and Rooney and Zlatan. And you could sort of draw a straight line from Beckham to all those guys. So that really like resonated with me. Do you think that ultimately is David Beckham's greatest legacy as the general manager that brought him here, which by the way, didn't even interview in the documentary, which is beyond me, but nevertheless, I'm curious <laughs> to get your thoughts. Gee, I wonder why. Look, that, that, that was, a, that was a, an incredibly interesting time in my life. And okay, so to answer your first question, absolutely the arrival and the time of David Beckham was fundamental in changing the perception. You need messengers in anything in life. And when it comes to selling soccer, in this case, selling a soccer league, you need a messenger. And not only did he strengthen the brand of the LA Galaxy, but he strengthened the brand of Major League Soccer. And he made it much more acceptable for players to come over. And it's not that players weren't coming over, but it turned heads. It opened up eyes. And for that, uh, that that in and of itself would have been worth it you know that he won championships uh, and that eventually he became very important and good on the field and had a good team around him uh, especially after the changes were made including yours tr truly getting fired and some you know different coaches coming through and bruce arena coming in and and making sure that that team was uh, was not only competitive but was one of the great teams in mls history all of that 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 was great but ultimately, I think the legacy is that he exposed people, and I use this word all the time, he made MLS relevant, and not just domestically, but around the world. And that relevancy, look, we paid a, a boatload of money to get that, but that's exactly what we wanted to get, and we got it and more. And anybody ever talks about the money that David was paid or the clause that enabled him to buy an MLS uh, team, incredibly shrewd business, uh, an MLS team at a reduced rate. Uh, it was worth every single penny for what he did. And there is before David Beckham and there is after David Beckham. It doesn't mean it wasn't it wasn't difficult or there weren't challenges. And it doesn't mean that, that there still aren't challenges going forward. But that was fundamental. That was a seminal... Uh, a, a seminal type of moment. The actual documentary that you're talking about, uh, go ahead, check it out. Like any documentary, it has things that are in it, things that aren't in it. It has people that are in it, people that aren't in it. Everybody's got a different idea and a different version of the story. They're they're all they're all true. And you know, I will say that there's also a story to be told about the business of David Beckham and how that all came to be. And I've talked to you before about the people involved, whether it's Tim Laiwiki, whether it's Sean Hunter, whether it's Phil Anschutz, uh, that were so integral in, in making sure that that pathway existed and basically ramming, ramming it down and saying, we are going to do this and we're going to pay, uh, pay that money. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, you enjoyed it. I would recommend it. It's still, it's fun to look back and to see what it was and the, the pomp and the circumstance. Uh, you know, I remember the introduction and that day when we introduced him to the media first off i remember the day that we announced it i remember the day that then he finally arrived and he signed every autograph he did every single interview he understood from the get-go what his job was and that was well beyond just actually kicking the ball 
uh, on the field. And he brought so many people into the tent in a way that nobody else could. Uh, and I still don't think anybody can. It doesn't matter who you sign. If you were to sign Messi or Cristiano, it still doesn't have that wide appeal that David Beckham did. There were people coming to either Galaxy games, watching the Galaxy, or being aware of the Galaxy that had no idea about soccer. And that was the power of David Beckham. But with that power also came challenges and the, and the hurricane that it was. But ultimately, the Galaxy was better off for having gone through that. So I'm glad that you uh, that you watched it. And I think we'll continue to change our, our feeling on how how much and or how little the effect is. But from my perspective, it was uh, absolutely the right call. And you can't undervalue or underestimate how important it was in terms of the development and the evolution of Major League Soccer. Now, I also watched the Maradona HBO documentary again and the two Escobars, 30 for 30, in the last few days. And that got me thinking about what my Mount Rushmore is of soccer documentaries and also of uh, non-soccer sports documentaries. And so I pitched this idea to Alex Dowd and he went for it. So I, I, I was wondering if you'd be curious to let me give you my, uh, my yes. Mount Rushmore in those two respective categories. Well, I love that you're prepared for this. Uh, and I can't wait to hear because I know you are a, a film aficionado when it comes to not just documentary, but film and t television in general. So, okay, hit us, hit us up. Okay. In terms of soccer, it would be the Maradona HBO one, which I thought was absolutely magnificent. Also, as you know, I love these behind the scenes team documentaries. They've done them recently on Manchester City, on Juventus, on Boca Juniors, on Dortmund, even the Brazil 2019 Copa America campaign. But my favorite one was the Sunderland one. And they're actually doing a season two of that, which comes out on Netflix April 1st. So I highly recommend you have about 10 days to binge watch the first season of it, and then that'll set you up nicely for the second season when that drops. So I can't recommend that enough. So Maradona, Sunderland, and then two 30 for 30s that I thought were incredible. It was two of the top five best 30 for 30s in general, which was the two Escobars I mentioned, which another one that you're sort of, along with the Beckham effect, you were sort of in and around and sort of tangentially involved with all that. So uh, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on all that. And also the Hillsborough one, I thought they did an incredible job with. But yeah, on the two Escobars, I mean, how affecting was that for you to go back and watch that and to see what the opposition was dealing with? How much of that did you know? What didn't you know was going on? And, and give me your overall thought on that. Yeah, so the two Escobars, even to this day, I think that people, and once again, it goes back to what we were just talking about, where you can transcend the actual sport. There's people that have no idea about soccer, or don't care about soccer, and yet they will enjoy the, the, the two Escobars. You don't have to love soccer. It actually just makes you love it that much more if you do, but it's still a great film, uh, a great documentary in what they did. So the two Escobars, uh, it's Andres Escobar, center back for Colombia, played in the World Cup, was on his way that fall to go and play for AC Milan, wonderful player. And uh, Pablo Escobar, the drug uh, kingpin and uh, head of a huge cartel that basically controlled Colombia for a number of years. And this intersection between the cartel and soccer. He was a huge soccer fan. Uh, Pablo Escobar was a huge soccer fan. And, and this, you know, the, the power and the control that the uh, narco uh, folks and, and life had over, uh, over soccer. So it's a, it's a phenomenal watch as it, as it applies to us. And I say this every time because I get asked about the U.S.-Columbia game in the 1994 World Cup more than anything. People want to 
talk about that game. 100,000 people at the Rose Bowl. The U.S. ended up winning 2-1 to one, uh, on a goal from Ernie Stewart and on an own goal from Andres Escobar. A own goal, a goal the type of which every center back has has had happened to him or her if they have played any length of time. That that most difficult of balls that is played around the back of a back four, could be a back three, could be a back five, but ultimately the back of your back line. And you're running back towards your goal. And you know you have to make a play on that ball because inevitably there is a striker or a, you know some sort of attacking player who's camping out on that back post running forward and you just get there late and you put the ball in the back of the net it's happened to everybody it happened to him at that at that moment it became part of the game just from a technical standpoint and and this had, this had happened but it became part of the life of that game because a couple weeks later unfortunately Andres Escobar was murdered and how much or little that own goal and the performance of the Columbia team is still up for debate. And you will see this when you watch that, uh, that documentary. We did not know at the time the pressure uh, and the seriousness when it came to what Columbia and the Colombian players uh, were having to withstand uh, at that time. We looked at it as this is an opportunity for us to you know, hopefully get some points, albeit against a team that even Pele had picked as a World Cup winner um, to uh, pick to win the World Cup. So this was a, a very, very good team that we we're playing against. So when people ask me about this game, as I said before, I, I have to separate out the two. The incredible joy of one of the great moments in my life being part of that win, because with that win, for all intents and purposes, we had achieved our goal and gone through to the second round and gotten out of our group, which was our main first objective. Separated out as this incredibly joyful and monumental day that should be celebrated with the fact of what happened two weeks later and you it's hard to separate them out the two and any of us would if it meant that Andres Escobar was still here any of us would gladly have lost that game to change what happened a couple uh, weeks later but because it's such a huge part of the history of that game, it's sometimes impossible to separate them out, them out. I attempt to do so because I say it was equal parts one of the great moments in my life, and yet the aftermath was incredibly sad and devastating for all of us as we woke up still in the World Cup and turned on the television, saw what had happened to that player because we continued on and Colombia bombed out of that World Cup and went home. So it is a fascinating documentary. I would definitely put that in, in my documentaries out there. So you just went with documentaries that are soccer, right? And the list that you just gave us, right? Correct. Let me give you my non-soccer one quickly and then we can circle okay. back to whatever list you want to put out. Uh, my non-soccer ones would be Hoop Dreams, which is this incredible documentary about two high sure. school basketball players. It was made back in 1994. The OJ Made in America, the ESPN, that like seven-hour opus that won an Oscar. I thought that was incredibly well done. Senna, which yep. was done by the same guy that did the Maradona one. And then When We Were Kings, which is one that was done about the Ali form and rumble in the jungle. So that, that would be my non-soccer Mount Rushmore. I already gave you my soccer one. Which way do you want to go here? Do you have any sort of list you want to put out? I don't have Rushmore-esque type of things like like you do, but you know I will say when it comes to actual soccer movies, not soccer documentaries, I know they're all films, but actual soccer movies, 
let's be honest, it's it's slim pickings, you know, after victory and you got kicking and screaming, uh, you got what, uh, the big green, I had a, I had a song in the big green, I think I've told you that before, but are there, are there soccer movies that I'm missing out? The goal, part one, part two, those types of things, the, uh, the game of their lives. Are there soccer actual movies out there that I'm missing? The Pele one that FIFA, not, uh, was it that FIFA did or the, uh, the uh, Sepp Blatter one, or there was one that FIFA actually did. Remember that one? There was also a Pele one too. Yeah, there was a Pele one that came out recently. I forget the name. I didn't. I didn't go see it. Uh, Bend it like Beckham was pretty big at the time, right? We consider that a soccer movie, right? Just because she's playing soccer. So yeah, I, I yeah. I mean, that was that's a good one. That would definitely be be up there. When it when it comes to actual movies, not documentaries, movies about sport. All right. I have been asked that before. And so if it's just straight movies about sport, I always include Victory, Slapshot, Chariots of Fire, and Bull Durham. Those would probably be my Mount Rushmore of sports movies. Would you have other ones that you would throw up there or challenge? No, that's a very good list. I would do mine would be Rocky. And let's not go down the rabbit hole of which was the best Rocky. Let's say the whole franchise is one entity there. Okay. Hoosiers, The Natural, which I still ride for as my go-to baseball movie, yeah. although uh, that seems to have become an unpopular opinion. There have been a lot of baseball movies since then, A League of Their Own and, and Major League and Bull Durham and Field of Dream that people rank above that. And then the fourth one is tough. I kind of want to go with like a more recent choice. Uh, I love that Ron Howard movie, Rush, the one, the, the Formula One racing one about the rivalry between James Hunt and Nicky Lauda. I thought that was incredibly well done. So it might be a stretch to put it in my Mount Rushmore, but I can't think of a better fourth. So I'll go with Rocky, Hoosiers, The Natural, and Rush. Did you see the, uh, the one that was nominated, the Ferrari one, uh, the Ford and Ferrari one? Uh, I did see that. Yeah, very good. Very good as well. Yeah. Was that more of a sports movie or more of a, of a, of a drama business movie type of thing? No, no, I would definitely call it a sports movie. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's about the Le Mans uh, race, which is another big sporting event that's been postponed. It was supposed to occur in the summer and they pushed that back to September. And my father and younger brother actually had plans to go to that um, this summer. So they're, they're now scrambling, figuring out if they're going to go in September or just punted to a different year. But, uh, you know, I would definitely classify that as a sports movie. Yeah, very, very good call. Yeah, that one was excellent. No, no, it's not a sports movie. All right. We've, ta we've talked about this before on what is sport and what is not, okay? No. Auto racing, not a sport, okay? Golf, not a sport. Craft, arts and craft, all of them. Doesn't mean it doesn't take incredible skill. Doesn't, even, doesn't mean it doesn't even necessarily take incredible physical ability and skill. Not a sport, not a sport. We, can, uh, we will save this for another day. I hate, I hate to drop that on you right now because I'm, I'm sure people are screaming and yelling right now, but we will save this for another segment where we discuss what is a sport and what isn't a sport. Because I have, as people, anybody that's followed me, I have definite opinions as to what should be classified as sport and what shouldn't be classified as sport out there. So, um, Amasi, I will leave you with that unless you, want, unless you want to say something else. No, I mean, the last comment for me on this whole segment is, you asked me what I've been watching. I did bang out already that Netflix series, The English Game, that dropped a couple days ago. It's just six mm -hmm. episodes. It chronicles the, I'll call it the 1883 
FA Cup final. But truthfully, they took elements from multiple F- FA Cup finals around that period. They, they took some liberty with the facts. I've since come to find out in, in, in fudge timelines a little bit. But it sort of captures the, the uh, overall idea that that was like the birth of professional football. And it centers around the Scottish player, uh, Fergus Souter, who was the first uh, player ever to get paid to play, I'd say football, you'd say soccer. And so I, I do recommend that it. it's not like fantastic or anything, but it's, it's an enjoyable watch and it's only six episodes and it, and it uh, window a little bit into the history of the game. Uh, it's, it's nice to harken back to when the FA Cup meant something before Jurgen Klopp ruined it. So uh, it was nice, enjoyable. I recommend it. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I love it. Okay, cool. Listen, this is uh, hopefully for you, because I'll speak for Mossy, uh, this is an escape. Okay, uh, it, it is not a permanent escape. We all uh, go back to the reality and the new reality that we are living and the difficulties uh, and the challenges. I would imagine that we are all living these same type of days where you go through periods and there's periods of anger and fear and frustration and it's all normal. And I have them, Mossy has them, everybody out there has them, especially when you're, you're cooped up uh, together, even with people that you love. But this is what we have to do in order to get to and get back to uh, the life that we know and love or some semblance of that life that we know and love. And this is the challenge. Uh, this is also the opportunity. And I'm, I'm sure everybody out there is dealing it, with it in different ways. But as I've said before, I hope you have people that you are communicating with, that you are interacting with, and, other, and you are reaching out to people because we have the ability uh, technically to do those things. And I think it's going to be crucial to maintain and, and help not just our physical well-being, but also our uh, mental well-being as, as we are going through it. I certainly don't have the answers. Mossy doesn't have the answers. This is all something that we are going through for the first time. And as we say time and time again, this is, this is uncharted territory. But I do have belief. I do have hope uh, and faith and confidence in people, just American people, people in general, and humanity. Uh, that we will come out of this the other side and uh, we will continue on. This is our little way of giving you something to listen for an hour or so. Hopefully you like it. If you are still listening, then at least uh, you like it. Uh, And uh, we will continue to do so. It is not meant to downplay or as I said, disregard the serious nature of the situation that that we are going through. And I hope that you are staying safe. I hope that you are staying healthy. We will talk to you again next week. We will continue to do that. We apologize for some of the audio issues we had uh, last week. It just wasn't great audio, but hopefully you can forgive us. Hopefully this is a little bit better in terms of, uh, of the audio and the production that we are doing. We'll continue to upgrade and try to get you the best possible show with the best possible production uh, that we can. And we incredibly appreciate the fact uh, that anybody listens out there. Uh, And if you are listening, you are certainly not alone. Uh, We are all, to a certain extent, in this together, and we will continue to to do so. Please hit us up out there because all of that social media that's firing up right now has become even more important in terms of the communication. So it's okay. It's okay to scream and yell at me about uh, different things. I, I, I never take it personally. And this 
and, and the context context of what's going on right now, it's great. Hit us up with that Ask Alexi uh, hashtag out there. Ask Mossy. Ask us questions about soccer or life or anything uh, anything in between. We'll be happy to interact and we'll be happy to talk to you going forward. You know, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and all these uh, different things because it's fun. It's fun for me to talk about the things in life that while they pale in comparison and certainly aren't on the level of the serious stuff that we're talking about there are still part of my life. And soccer is still part of my life. Soccer is still part of Mossy Life's. I got to think that soccer in some way to different degrees is still part of your life and something that we think about. And so this is an outlet for us to talk about that. So I appreciate you gracing us with your presence and enabling us uh, to be able to do this still on a weekly basis. And we will continue to do so as long as we are able to do so. So be safe and we will talk again next week. Mossy, anything to say before we go? No, that's it. Stay safe, everybody. All right. Until next week, size the day. 